0: Boom, boom, boom. Let's, review Let's, go. Let's review some films. Let's review some films. Let's review some films. See what we
1: gotta say. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another edition of the franchise Strikes Back. Um, if you are still with us, after, I think this is our fourth episode. Um, thanks for being here. And uh, I can't believe that you've managed to withstand it for this long, our voices. We're tortured just doing it ourselves. Uh, I am Steve. I keep forgetting to introduce myself when I do this podcast. Uh, I think for most of these episodes, I've just been some nameless voice. So, anyway, I'm Steve. Um, you may remember me from Revenge of the Nineties, uh, another podcast that we have my co host on, Fabs.
2: Hey, mm, 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 mm. mm, 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 mm,
1: And then oh, uh, <laughs> my other. <laughs> This is off the rails immediately. My other two co-hosts for Franchise Strikes Back, Linton Lewis and Tim Gatos. Hello, fellas! Hello. Cheers. Um, and today we are talking about whether you like it or not. This is a franchise. We are talking about Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, there was a sequel to this movie in 1988, and uh, unfortunately, we are we unfortunately we saw it, and uh, unfortunately, we're going to talk about it. So, um, real quick, uh, as is now our tradition. Uh, First thing I want to do is, Tim,
0: what what drink are you having uh, during this episode? Today I have the Country Club. It is a simple gin and tonic, and it costs 50 bucks a glass. I can't believe you didn't name it the Bushwood.
1: Uh, uh,
0: let's re-record. Let's re-record. <laughs> re-record, re-record. <Go> back, <laughs> oh, go, turn it go, on. Go back, go back. <laughs> I fucked up already. No, right, just, so uh, just a an club. overpriced gin and tonic. That's what gotcha.
1: we got. Perfect. Perfect. This is a little bit easier because it's it's two movies we've done we've done ones that are a little bit uh, more extensive than this uh, but you can hardly call this a, a franchise so it won't be too hard to do this uh, this next part we're just going to give kind of just like a two minute rundown of each entry in the series they're basically the same plots I found I I ordered this on uh, I ordered Caddyshack on Amazon Prime and the description in the plot for it is a comedy about a construction tycoon who tries to join a snobby country club that doesn't want him as a member. And it like, when I read that, it took me kind of a while to be like, is that the plot? (laughs) Like I had no idea. It was like, oh yeah. I mean, I guess in the last 10 minutes that becomes the plot. That is Um, definitely the plot of the second
0: Caddyshack. I don't know that you could say that's the plot of the first.
1: Very clearly is the plot of the second. And I think that, you know, obviously we'll get into like how that, you know sets the table for the series and the first one especially but like I actually had to sit there for a minute and think about like what the actual plot of Caddyshack was like if somebody sat me down and was like give me the plot of this movie I, it would be difficult to do but anyway um, Linton do you want to give like a quick rundown just yeah real quick
3: um, yeah so obviously we'll dig into each entry a bit as we go uh, but my rough take on both entries are uh, I think the first one is like good but not great um like uh i mean i think it has some standout stuff particularly by bill murray that's why i own it because i am a, a lover of bill murray's films so i think he has some really great stuff in it i think there are some good bits here and there um but i think it's really just trying to kind of i mean it's, it's genuinely trying to just recreate animal house it's a lot of the same people behind the scenes working on it. And they're just trying to recapture that magic. Uh, Problem is there's no John Landis to uh, hold everything together. Um, And I mean, you know, you don't have John Belushi and some other elements. So it's, it's not just a, it's not a, you know, a simple, this is where it all went wrong. And I I don't think it went wrong. I just, I don't think it's, it's as successful. My personal feeling is I don't think it, really deserves the classic status. I know some people may disagree, but I i do think that's it there's fun stuff in it. Caddyshack 2 is bad. I don't think it's as bad as is often made out to be. Um I think it has some funny bits here and there. Um some of the comedians they have working like do some you know find some ways to make some stuff work. As a movie, do I like really enjoy it? No. Would I ever own it? No. Have I seen it like five times on HBO? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So like, yeah, it's not, it's not good, but I know people act like it's just the worst thing that's ever (laughs) come across their eyes. And I think some of that comes to comes in with like how much some people love or revere the first movie. And so there's just this huge gulf for them. Whereas for me, it's like, Oh, the first one's okay. And then like, this one's bad. (laughs)
1: All right. So let's, yeah, let's talk. I think, I think it's very, obviously, you know, we, we have our notes here and uh, it, you know, Tim, Tim has a dissenting opinion about this that we will yeah. appropriately, appropriately roast him for. Um, but let's, let's, let's talk about uh, let's break it up by t- kind of talking about the, the first movie, because I think ob- objectively uh, at least for three of us, if we're talking about maybe the series as a whole, I think Linton you kind of summarized it in that the, you know, we have varying levels of how we like the first one and the second one is just kind of bad um or or even a worse indictment boring. And then I think you know, as far as best entries, we all kind of would assume the first one is the best one. So let's just kind of talk about like, let's go we'll go first movie, and then we'll we'll kind of like tap into and talk about the second one. So I well, would say i'll go ahead, Tim.
0: I was say i I think the problem with the first one. And why I agree with Blitton in that I I don't really see this as a comedy classic is that, and it was reflected in the fact that when you read that Amazon plot for the movie and you were sitting there like, is that the plot of Caddyshack? There is no plot to Caddyshack. It is living or dying on the individual jokes and the kind of tied together sketches that are within it which isn't necessarily a problem for a comedy. You can do that and it can work, but I don't, I never watched, I I think this was actually the first time I had watched Caddyshack all the way through. I had seen a bunch of clips. I'd caught pieces of it on TV throughout my life, but I don't think I had actually sat down and really watched it before. I just knew it existed. I knew it was considered, you know, top tier in terms of comedy, Watching it for this, I was just kind of oof. like a lot of it hasn't aged particularly well, which isn't specific to Caddyshack. A lot of comedies from this era have not aged well. It was a different time, different sensibility, excuse me, different sensibilities, but that also makes it for a not super enjoyable watching experience in 2020. There were some solid jokes like Chevy Chase has some great little witty retorts and one-liners, Uh, The scene with him and Bill Murray and uh, Murray, what's Murray's character's name? I don't even remember. Carl Spackler. Spackler. The the scene they have in Spackler's apartment is pretty fun. Uh, That's a good scene. But overall, I just, and this was something that happened with both movies as I was watching them. I kept checking, I kept pausing it to check the runtime to see how much time was left before I could stop watching Because there wasn't as much... Because there was no real story, and there really aren't any characters, especially in the first one, that you can latch onto, it was just waiting for a joke that I liked. And I don't think the hit-to-miss ratio is all that impressive.
2: Fabs? Okay, so I know in the notes I put that it's like a classic. and In some regards, it is, because it has a lot of classic comedy moments. If you were to do a a five minute reel of classic comedy moments from, from cinema, there would be one or two that were on here. Probably when Carl, when Bill Murray is hitting the, the flowers um, and when Chevy Chase is doing his like, no, nah, na 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 nah. Like those two would probably be on there. The problem with Caddyshack is the, the parts are greater than the sum. Like the best parts of the movie are definitively when Bill Murray's on screen and when Chevy Chase is, Chevy Chase is on the screen and the problem is neither of them is even, like, one of the three or four main characters, maybe fourth for Chevy Chase. But our main characters are this boring Danny kid who's, like – he's a decent yeah. – he's, like, a decent enough actor. Like, he's fine. A bunch of weirdness of, like I, – I guess it was funny back in the day. He has, like, a giant Irish family, like 11 siblings or something. And then he has, like, an Irish girlfriend, which I found so strange. Yeah. yeah. The, the judge – The doctor has more – is in more scenes – like the judge's like best friend is in more scenes than Chevy Chase is. And then like I love Ronnie Dangerfield in in like Back to School, even in like Ladybugs, the soccer movie from the early 90s, which I hope we do (laughs) on Revenge of the 90s. But he was like exhausting in this movie. Like upon rewatch, like he was just so draining – and this is like one of those movies upon rewatch. Like I still have a soft spot for it cuz like it was a thing my dad and I watched and I like golf growing up. Um but it was like one of those things where your parents show you and they're like this was like re- this is like really good and hilarious. And then you watch it and you're like, "Oh, like maybe like in 1979 that was the case." But like it does not like hold up. Like all of his bits, like none of them hold up. None of them are are funny. The only thing I thought he did that was funny was his like golf bag was crazy like i thought that was cool but like all the scenes he was in like i'm not about being a snooty country club person but even i was like dude why the fuck are you at this country club like why are you bothering all these people if you don't want to be a member because like in the second <laughs> one he is like right. a direct like he is doing it for his daughter like he will get into the second one but jackie mason's character has a purpose for why he's joining it it's to help his daughter's like social game. And this one is like, why are you at this country club then? Like, there's like, you're not trying to buy the (laughs) land. Like, there's not a reason for you. Don't go there. If you hate these people so much, leave them alone and let Danny get his scholarship. Like, I don't get
0: it. I I, I think Tim actually has a theory on this. Yeah. Because what what struck me watching it for this was that Rodney Danger's character is essentially Donald Trump. He is a bit more (laughs) self-aware than trump is but he's basically a donald trump character he's this he you know, has more minorities
2: in real- his like entourage too <laughs> yeah so that is definitely not like trump but he
0: had he's this real estate building tycoon or at least we're led to believe that he's very boorish he does not fit in with the elite but he is for some reason and he has a disdain for the delete he just wants to fuck with them but there's still this insistence on wanting to be a part of that group that does not track with his actual personality. So granted having Ronnie Dangerfield in a role like that makes him more endearing than he really should be. But yeah, every time he showed up in the movie, I was just, why are we, why are we supposed to like a Donald Trump character? And again, I, I would disagree 70s, with that. I, I, I would not-
1: absolutely disagree with that. <laughs> I would not call him a Donald Trump character. He's so much more lighthearted than, like I, I would have to I, – I understand where you're coming from on that because there are some elements that track. But like I would argue that Rodney Dangerfield's character, while the connection of like why he's there and, and it makes zero sense why he would want to like be a part of this club or why he's even golfing there, I, I would say that he's still like a really lighthearted, like good-natured character that like isn't at his core vindictive or downright evil. <laughs> um, You know, I, I would – you know, uh, the judge is more of I mean doesn't track as well but like the, the judge is the villain of the you know movie Ted Knight's character so like I just view Rodney Dangerfield the same way I view the other characters in the movie is that they're all just this eclectic bunch of goofballs that are at this country club and that's that's the movie like I found myself watching it I was like man this movie just there's nothing holding this together but after I watched it and especially after I watched the second one I had a different appreciation for like what these comedians were able to pull off in a movie that essentially had nothing to grab onto. Like when I watched Dan Aykroyd try to do a half-assed version of Carl in the second movie, Ugh. I couldn't, that was the most painful experience of my life. Bill Murray's
0: sloppy seconds. Uh.
1: And, but like watching Bill Murray in this movie, I, I, I had a new appreciation of, for how amazing the Carl character is. Cause I never really loved it growing up. I just, kind of like kind of like what linton was alluding to is like well i don't really know like why this is a classic but seeing that reaffirmed you know the talent the comedic talents of bill murray for me not that it was ever in limbo but like it was just like oh yeah like nobody else can do this role and for as awful a person as he might be in real life Chevy chase manages to do some fun stuff in this. And even in the second one, um, does a few bits that are pretty funny. So it's what, like fab said, it's like the parts, there are enough parts in this that work for me that I'm like, okay, this, I don't know. I would never call this for me personally, a comedy classic. Um, and I probably wouldn't go seek this movie out again anytime soon, unless it's randomly on like HBO or something, but I like it. I mean, I, I ended up having like a new appreciation for this movie. Uh, after watching the uh, another time and seeing how bad the, the second movie was. And like with Rodney Dangerfield, it's like, again, I, I didn't love everything he was saying, but like, honestly, and because it makes no sense, like I always quote, I do always quote the line, like, Hey everybody, we're getting laid tonight. Like it makes no sense in the context of the movie, but the way he delivers it is funny. And it's like, whatever. Like, I,
0: I don't care. Like, it's fine. It's funny yeah, to me. I remember, um, I remember and thinking. it's a weird, I remember thinking about that line because I know it's something that has shown up in clips all over the place. And it's one of the more famous lines from the movie. And when he delivers that at the end of the movie, I remember sitting there going, the fuck does that have to do with anything that just happened? Also, absolutely nothing. You're, you're rich people at a country club. You can get laid whenever the hell you want. What are you talking about?
3: Well, the, what yeah, uh, I was just gonna say like the randomness uh, was one aspect that I jotted down. Um, and I mean, that line is a good example. But another one that really jumped out at me, because like, like we had kind of already established, a lot of it's like a series of skits that are very loosely tied together. And I, I want to go into a little bit on like the production stuff. And I think, Steve, uh, you read a book on Caddyshack, right?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay.
3: Uh, Well, I I, want to get to you uh, in a minute here, but like, but there was a line from Dangerfield where it's like, he's talking to his caddy, like one of the secondary caddies. And I can't remember what the set, there's not really even a setup. It's not really even a joke, but the Dangerfield says something and the guy goes, so what? And Dangerfield goes, so what? So let's dance. And he turns on a radio and music starts playing and it's like, why is that happening? It's like the movie's just like, (laughs) we're doing this now and there's no context for it. Uh, I will say that Rodney Dangerfield's crazy dance faces are a delight in that scene. And a couple other scenes, like when there's music playing, he just makes these insane facial expressions, but yeah. Like, so there's this, this randomness to it that, I mean, I can see it in stuff like uh, Anchorman also is basically like, here's a very loose plot, and we're going to just do a lot of bits off of that. But I would argue Anchorman does it a lot better, but reading into it, um, You know, I knew a little bit about the production of Caddyshack beforehand. I knew that everyone was coked out of their mind at all times. But what I didn't know was that, like, part of the reason that what we see is so kind of hodgepodge and all over the place is that its original intent, like the original script, focuses on the caddies. So, Fabs brought up that the main character sucks Pretty much, and I agree. I, I I've always thought that that the main character is just a vacuum. Like he's not funny, he's not interesting, and maybe he's there to be like a straight man to these huge comedians. But uh, reading about it, I think the idea of it was almost more like a Bad News Bears type vibe. Originally, it would be like we're going to focus on these caddies, and there's going to be this judge that's like the kind of villain. And then we're going to bring in a couple comedy heavy hitters for some cameos. Like a, apparently, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, and uh, Chevy Chase. I think there's maybe some changes in casting at times. And apparently, it is the Rapture outside of my home. Oh, we finally um, get in
0: thunderstorms. Yes.
3: Yes.
1: Uh, but yeah, from what <laughs> I understand, they were kind of planned as. That's um, Rodney Dangerfield from heaven, man. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking for that respect. (laughs) Um, No respect in heaven either. Shit. So from what
3: what I understand, they were originally planning it as these guys will be some cameos. And then I think uh, Harold Ramis is running the show. And so he recognizes, well, Bill Murray, Randy, uh, or uh, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, and Chevy Chase are way too talented to limit them to six lines and let them walk off stage. So he realized, like, oh, well, we should just kind of boost their roles. And so what happened then is you probably did get a lot more comedy out of the movie than you would have. You got, like Fab said, the the, you know, uh, he's a Cinderella boy. uh, Tears in his eyes. I guess you get that you get the (laughs) Dalai Lama stuff. But what happens is you the plot becomes kind of this slipshod thing because it was originally supposed to focus on the caddies and then it didn't. And from what I read at one point, they had like a four and a half hour rough cut, (laughs) which I can't, the mind boggles at whatever that would have been. But then I guess, so obviously they weren't going to release that, but then when they cut it down, from what I understand, they ended up cutting a lot of stuff that related to the original plot. So that Mm -hmm. makes it, that makes it make more sense of like why this movie seems so aimless is because well, they're sitting there in the editing room and they're like, well, we can't cut out Cinderella Boy and we can't cut out Dalai Lama because those are our great jokes and we can't cut out some of these Chevy Chase bits. So it's like they're having to like reconstruct the plot in editing based around the bits they have that are working. So that makes it make more sense of why this movie is just kind of this rough, weird thing, but does have some brilliance. And I want to go to Steve with his background background But I will briefly say, uh, from what I was reading, everything Murray does on screen is improvised, um, which is just phenomenal. And he shines through the entire movie, um, as I think most people would agree. But like like Fab's was saying, there's a couple like this Cinderella boy, the Dalai Lama thing. And there's some other bits he does. Chevy Chase bit where he when they're in the room together is also hilarious. All that stuff is being done and figured out like pretty much on the day which is just
0: mind blowing. Here's the first of my hot takes though, that you guys are going to yell at me for. I want to hear Steve on the background. Okay. Well, we'll go to Steve first and then you guys can yell at me.
2: I can't wait to yell at you.
1: Yeah. I'm (laughs) revved up for that. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, it's been a minute since I've read, read the book, but I mean, it's a really compelling read. Uh, It's called um, Caddyshack, the making of a Hollywood Cinderella story. And, so I would definitely recommend it if you're interested in like the background. I think, you know, everything that you're saying, Linton, is is kind of what they cover in the book. I, you know, at the time when they were making it, like Doug Kenny was having like a mental breakdown um, and he was like, you know, really sick at the time. And I think he died soon ish after this yeah. movie came out because it bombed initially at the box office, unlike Animal House, which was like a huge hit. And. And I remember, you know, at the at like the media panel, Doug Kenny had like a big freak out when the movie was coming out. And like that was like a big embarrassing thing that helped kind of tank the movie too. everybody was absolutely coked out. Um, I remember reading that, you know, they didn't know what to do uh, with the caddy characters and they didn't like any of the actors. And it was just kind of a mess in terms of what was being produced on screen. And it was really difficult because like those guys aren't comedians and they're not improvisers. So it was like, you had like two elements working against each other, which are like people who are trying to act. And then they're like, even Ted Knight was having a difficult time with it because it was like, what the fuck do you want me to do here? Um, <laughs> where it was like, you know, D- Dangerfield, chase and Murray are kind of more in their element, but this was like Dangerfield's like big movie break. And he was like, I guess like a nervous wreck during this movie. And, had a real tough time and was very like self-conscious and not sure what, if what he was doing was funny or if it worked or anything like that. So I always, I viewed it through that lens a little bit and I almost wonder if there's this like manic nervous energy that he's like putting forth in this movie where it's just kind of like, I guess I'll just start dancing. And I think, I think that's like part of it where it's just like, I don't know what you want me to do. I'll just do a dance party, you know, or just rattle off some lines. But also sense. you have work. You have, yeah. And you've got Harold Ramis. This is his first uh, movie, too. So basically, you're just throwing all this stuff at the wall and just kind of like I think they were going for the Animal House vibe, which was like a bunch of, uh, you know, under underdogs that, you know, end up winning in the end. And that just went off the rails. But like and, and again, this was like the start of Bill Murray just showing. I, I remember one of the things was that the they were very nervous about Bill Murray because this was like the first instance of him just like, not showing up until the day he was supposed to film. And I think he filmed all of his stuff over the span of like a couple days. And he just like showed up on set the next day. He he filmed two days later could be different from what I'm saying, but it was very quick. And then he was gone. And so like, it's just this, like, you know, the evidence of like Bill Murray, just being him, his own, like kind of like mysterious self. And I think that's just, you know, that's the long and short of it. On background and like you said everybody on coke chevy chase being chevy chase and i think he i think there was something really weird about that scene where he massages um the woman i think he t- i think he made her very uncomfortable if i remember right he like, was improving
3: and, well from what i read he was improving and like he dumped a bunch of like oil on her back but like and she I hated mean,
1: it or something like that
3: yeah I, she wasn't expecting it so she reacted genuinely I, I i don't know if he was like doing anything you know untoward but uh, i wouldn't put it past him
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think you've earned the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think like, I think you're just looking at, you know, all these kind of just weird elements that like, again, the fact that the finished product even comes close to a decent movie with, a, with I would say, you know, a lot of pretty good jokes, some classic jokes. I, to, I mean, that's that's pretty, pretty much a success, I would say, uh, you know there's there's one when you more, take the, all of it
3: there's one more bit that i realize as you're talking uh that relates to just kind of the hodgepodge nature of the movie uh, from my notes so because i had been a long time since i had watched the movie uh yeah, i'm trying to watch it critically and kind of compile stuff so you have chevy chase obviously coming off snl you know big star bill murray emerging star from snl um you have Rodney Dangerfield established. He hadn't been in movies, but established uh, comedian for years. So those are your comedy heavy hitters in this movie. You know that as a director, the very first scene that Chevy Chase and Rodney Dangerfield meet, they're in like, um, a bar area. Like there's some kind of like ritzy rich people party happening that Ty Webb has gone to for some reason. Cause he kind of hates all these people too. And then, um, Rodney Dangerfield's character shows up, but they literally like, somebody introduces Rodney Dangerfield to Ty Webb, like just by name. And Rodney Dangerfield's like, uh, oh, okay. And then like leaves, just leaves the scene immediately. Like, I mean, not even (laughs) as a joke. Like he just walks away. And so you have like two of your comedy heavy hitters. This is the moment they meet. You do nothing with it. And then they don't meet again until like way later in the movie. So it just like shows this sort of like, you know i mean the inexperience on Ramus's part as great a writer and director and performer as he you ultimately was i feel he was kind of out of his depth and he he basically from what i read admitted like he said he had a he had trouble rewatching the movie he didn't he would see compromises everywhere so he didn't think it was like a great film for him. Like I, I, th- right. I think he thought a lot of his other projects were more successful, but yeah, when I, when I saw that and it was just like, yeah, there, there should be funny stuff happening here, but Dangerfield just walks away. That's um,
1: like a scene. Uh, that's like a scene in the second movie, which, you know, we'll talk as little about as possible, but um then the second movie, Ty Webb at the very end, I don't know if you remember this. He's the the last scene with Ty Webb. He's at the golf tournament. Uh, and he says, like, before it begins, He like, let's get ready to rumble. And then he just goes, all right, I got to go. Bye. And then he, like, walks off and he just never <laughs> appears again. And it was just
2: like, all right. <laughs> well, before we get to Tim's hot take, which I can't wait, one of the things – so I have it playing in the background. <laughs> one of the, like, craziest things about this series is, like, the third biggest lasting legacy is the Groundhog. Yeah. Like, like beyond Bill Murray and Chevy Chase's performance, like I see because I see, yeah, the gopher, go- thing, yeah, the gopher, yeah. The gopher yeah. yeah, I because I see the gopher where you can like press the button and it, it does the dance from like the yeah, the yeah, first yeah, movie yeah, or whatever, was, like the yeah. Billy Bass
0: version for Caddysack,
2: exactly, yeah, yeah. All right, Tim, let's I can't wait to for all of us to yell at you, like, so let, lay it on us, buddy.
0: Let's go. So, uh, first of all, update I'm on Gin and number three. Uh, oh god! god. Like, Tim, we're like twenty-five minutes into this thing. <laughs> Dude, it's, we're it's very early where I'm at. <laughs> Guys, I need to be emotionally secure before you all eviscerate me. So Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. I know Bill. Murray. Hiss! 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 <laughs> Eat shit, Tim. <laughs> so I know Bill Murray is a national treasure. And we all Mm. love him. Oh, I don't like where this is going. Yeah, Do we have a a mute button
1: on here somewhere?
0: (laughs) The dump button. (laughs) Um, All right, all right, all right, all right. I don't really think he's that great in Caddyshack. Like I said before, the, the scene with him and Chase when they're in Marie's apartment and they have their back and forth. I do think that is good. I enjoyed that scene. But overall, I just was not into Murray's performance. And part of it, I think, is because I think so much of it is just, oh, it's Bill Murray doing a funny voice. And that's something that, you know, when we look at a lot of different SNL skits and stuff like that, it just annoys me when you're basing so much of a comedic anchor on an actor doing a funny voice. You know, like a lot of Kristen Wiig stuff on SNL. I think she's a very funny person performer generally but so much of what they gave her in SNL is just let's give her a really weird or obnoxious voice and center everything around that and to me what Bill Murray was doing in this and I know Lytton has talked about and Steve mentioned how a lot of it was improv he just showed up and was doing a lot of improv and there is a, a an element of impressiveness to that but I just really wasn't into what he was doing for much of the movie And like, especially like there are at least two big moments, like two key moments that are supposed to be big laugh lines, as far as the movie is concerned, where he's essentially masturbating to a bunch of random women. And I get it's not, he's actually doing it. It's the innuendo, you know, Austin Powers did a bunch of it in those movies. But I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning, where so much of the comedy in Caddyshack may have been funny in 79 or whenever this was made, but watching it in 2020 and I haven't seen any of this in so long, watching a lot of this now where Bill Murray is doing a masturbation gag in public where he's oodling a bunch of women walking in public just has a really bad taste to it. And it was as much as I love Bill Murray, I could not get into most of what he was doing in the movie. I think this is definitely the bottom rung of the ladder in terms of his comedic output. Oh, then you have not seen Larger Than Life, sir. Oh, it's a great
3: elephant
2: movie. Top by <laughs> elephant movie in the nineties. That and operation so many. double drop. Operation, Operation Dumbo, Dumbo drop, drop, yeah. baby. Ray what are the Hilda? other
3: three, Fabs? Dumbo <laughs> and the Dumbo live action. And... Dumbo live action.
2: And... I would, I mean... Water for I... elephants. There you go. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: The top five I mean, and I... only five elephant movies. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, it's not that, because Bill Murray wasn't, is Carl's not actually masturbating to the women so I don't find I that to be a was. joke that's di- i mean uh, you know thank
0: you fabs yeah i'll
1: do my own i'll I'll make my own movie there <laughs> but that's that's not a gross but um i don't think like i the joke you know i because he's not actually doing it it's funny to me because you you're separating like you know what the what the joke actually is versus like what you think he's he's actually doing so like i don't find that to be like distasteful um I would say this is that like the way that I, uh, the way that I approach, I mean, I'll, I'll just flat out. I just disagree that like, I think it's a great Bill Murray performance, but I understand where you're getting at. Like I could see it being something that would be an, a, a grading performance the same way, like the Rodney Dangerfield performance might be like, it it's a lot. It's exhausting. And I could see the Carl character being the same way. So like, I get that for sure, Tim. I think, I just feel like the opposite is like, I, I just think it's a great, the, the uh, performance by Murray, I, I think like comedically it's fantastic. Like when, even when he's like mumbling to that golfer who thinks he's a caddy and he's saying, uh, your eminency, uh, your, your excellency, you know, like when he's just like rattling off things, he thinks a caddy would say like, that's hilarious to me. Um, what I would say is about Caddyshack too, is you view it through the lens of like how this is a movie from 1980. And so like a lot of the jokes at that time were fresh. And like, for instance, like the baby Ruth scene, it doesn't play like it plays pretty dated because like everyone I think grew up joking about like throwing a candy bar in the pool, but that's because they saw it in Caddyshack. Yeah. And like when you see it for the first time, it's like, holy shit, that's the funniest, freshest, most unique thing I've ever seen. Like this is comedic genius. And so I think part of it comes from that too, where it's like this movie's like 40 years old. So <laughs> there's that element too, where it's like, okay, a lot of comedy has been done. Like Austin Powers, you were saying, like it drew from Caddyshack where it's like, what if we pretended to make it look like we were masturbating, but we were doing this or whatever. Um, So that's my I don't want to roast him too much because that actually isn't like I don't think the spiciest take he has. He's got some other doozies. Well, (laughs) I
2: I want (laughs) to say first thing I heard when what you when you were talking, Tim, was that you don't think women are funny. Because you brought up Kristen Wiig, so that's oh, that's no. the, what I said. super insulting I, right there. I do think um, she's
0: funny. I think <laughs> SNL gave her the short end of the stick. They didn't utilize her the way she
2: that's she fair to could have been utilized. Um, but like
0: Fabs so will I not put, rest. New into- Fabs, don't Fabs. be putting anti-feminist words in my mouth. Fabs will not rest until you are canceled online, Tim.
2: Cancel him. No, I okay. I <laughs> get hashtag cancel Tim. I just think that, like, I get what you're saying, but I just think that when you're asking somebody to be the fifth or sixth tier character, and they create a memorable character that, like, when you talk about the movie, you immediately think of him or Chevy Chase, then they've he, they done a him, good they job. They put him because on all
3: of, that. of the. It's a, sorry, I just got to jump. Yeah, like, yeah, they put him on, on, on all DVD and Blu-ray. Like, he is the the front and center of those. I mean, partly it's because, oh, well, Bill Murray's a known person, but it's also because that's what everyone remembers from
0: this movie is is his character with all of 10 minutes of screen time. But I think that's 15. a key part of it though. Like because you mentioned this in your notes at one point, Lytton, how a lot of the reverence people have for this movie is probably due to the cast. We have a lot of the cast itself has a lot of goodwill when you're looking, especially Bill Murray. If you take Bill Murray out and put someone else in there, it could be the exact same performance, the exact same jokes. Would we still hold that character in that performance up to the same degree that we are because it's Bill Murray? Or is the fact that it's Bill Murray influencing how we but
2: view that I, I, performance? I, well, go ahead, the guys. improv, though, the fact that it's Bill Murray is the reason – you got that part though. That's the thing. If 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 this was all written, you can make that argument, but we wouldn't have gotten the like one of the two most famous moments where he's like hitting uh, like the Cinderella story, and like you wouldn't have gotten those moments because like he decided to do those.
3: Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was basically was going to say the same thing as Fabs. Is like you, yeah, you could not have recreated it, and not just because it was improv, but because it's specifically. Bill Murray improv like like a, a different actor is not going to bring to it what he was bringing to it and those elements and I did read I only saw this one place I don't know if it's legit Steve may know if it was mentioned in that book or something but I saw somewhere that I guess originally as scripted the Carl character was silent and was like meant to be almost like a Harpo Marx type character like he would just you know he'd be doing stuff throughout the scene but probably like you know, his boss would be like, oh, Carl, go do this, do um, it. And, you know, that the the performer would have just played it with facial expressions, body language and stuff. And that supposedly Harold Ramis realized once they cast Murray, it's like, well, he has to talk. We, ha- we have to have him <laughs> giving lines. Um, I only saw it one place. I don't know if it's legit. But if that's the case, then as written, the Carl character was vastly different than what Murray brought to the table.
1: And that would also make sense. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember that. I am sure I would assume that that's accurate, but I don't remember reading that part. There was so much to this. Yeah. That's just like from the conception to when the finished product happened, that just like, there were so many changes. It's hard to keep track.
0: Well, that would also make sense if, you know, if Bill Murray's, if all of Bill Murray's lines were improv, this would make sense. He literally had to improv all his lines because there was nothing written for his character in the script. So that would, that would make sense. But yeah, I don't know. I, and I think this gets to how subjective comedy can be. Like, I I just watching it, I didn't think, like I said, aside from the scene in the apartment, I didn't think the jokes that Murray was improving were all that. Like, They didn't hit me all that to the same degree that they appear to have hit you. So to me, and, and that might influence why I'm like, eh, it's just because we like Bill Murray because I didn't find even the Cinderella and stuff like that. It's not bad but it wasn't particularly memorable either and again that could also be because for the most part i'm watching this through a 2020 lens i don't have a whole lot of memories of watching a lot of this movie you know growing up or anything like that so like you brought up the the babe ruth bar thing that's Jokes like that have become much more commonplace, but if you're watching this movie in 79 when that hasn't been done to death, that's a much you're gonna get a much bigger laugh compared to now. So I understand that there some of my opinions are skewed by the fact that I am watching this through much more of a 2020 lens as opposed to when it came out. But same token, we're also discussing this in 2020. So that does, I think that does count for something then and how well this has aged. And if you're going to call it a comedy classic, it needs to age well.
1: But I still don't think that it's not, I I mean, I don't, I still don't agree though that it hasn't aged well. Like I don't, it's not that like the jokes haven't aged well. I'm not offended by the jokes. It's just that maybe that I I have to, you still have to view it as like the seminal piece of comedy where literally everybody that came after these characters and the, you know, these performers based some of what they did on what they saw in this movie. Like com- comedians that grew up watching Caddyshack did some of the same, you know, were like, well, I can do a character like Bill Murray, like Will Ferrell's like, well, I can do, let me do it. Uh, you know, a, a newscaster with like a funny voice based, you know what I mean? It's like, there's that, you know, or, or Wayne's world or just like, you know, it's just like all these sort of like, you know sketch comedians and stuff that are like building these like characters in the worlds around them that caddyshack kind of like for it only being one movie influenced so many people i i still i still don't feel as though it hasn't aged well like i don't want to make it seem like the movie hasn't aged well because i don't see a lot of stuff in there that i'm
0: like ooh oof like that's real tough you know but like it's not just you a, know what I mean? It's not just the jokes, like the movie as a whole and the what passes for a plot, like and I know Lytton probably has stuff to talk about how what's his name, Danny the Caddy, how much so. of a how much of a non character he really is. But I when I was watching this for the podcast, one of the things that struck me out was there's that whole the way he treats his girlfriend is so bullshit seventies misogyny. Where he like doesn't give a shit about her, and then there's the whole weird pregnancy scare <laughs> that the movie just kind of adds and he, like, and drops within ten minutes. Randomly it, bangs the uh,
1: blonde character, the judge's yeah, like, granddaughter. It's with no with no
0: like regret whatsoever. No regrets, <laughs> or, or no, consequences. <laughs> no, no consequences. No consequences. And again, like the. Um, the the girlfriend, or I don't even know if they necessarily actually call her his girlfriend, but all evidence suggests she is. She's very supportive. She seems like a really nice, well, cool girl. Yeah, and saying- and he he well, let me finish. He is openly trying to cheat on her throughout the movie and the movie never calls him out on it. Like it's just treated as, Oh yeah, that's a totally normal thing for a guy to do to just fucking bang whoever they want and still have this other woman ready to take him back. Like it's a very outdated mentality.
3: I mean, again, I'm not going to defend 1980s mores, especially in the, like, uh, realm of romantic or sexual relationships, but I do think you're mischaracterizing some of this stuff, because, like, The girlfriend barely has a character, so I don't think she's any presented as any kind of like champion of him. She's hardly in the movie, but also she's a perfect
0: fit though because he barely has a character himself,
3: right? But you're saying that she's like super supportive, and that like you know he's cheating on her, and like you know making him out to be this villain again. I, I don't think he's a good character. I think those are good points in terms of him having negativity associated to him. But when she says she's pregnant, she says it might not be yours so that seems to indicate that she's doing the same thing to him i mean so i like i i think that's a misreading of Mm, the movie if, if you're saying that she's presented as some kind of like pure entity that he's you know being awful toward um again not saying what he's doing is correct but she is not being shown as like
0: i don't know like a devoted girlfriend as you're painting her that's fair i forgot that there was she had that line although I, uh, I, it uh, whatever yeah what were you gonna i mean
1: that? i think it just comes down to the same thing we've been talking about which is that this movie is just an aimless meandering plot where i don't think yeah. anybody considered any of it like i think i don't think you're wrong tim i think that that is like it is like a painful thing to watch when he like bangs um what's her name um Cindy Morgan's character, uh, Lacey Underall, uh, when he when he has sex with her, it's it's a very shocking, like, middle of the movie moment where you're like, oh, didn't he just like show how much he loved his other girlfriend? And then just like next scene, he's like horny for the other girl. I think it's just bad editing. I think it's just like, I don't know, do this. um, And this moves something along here, uh, you know, and it's some like weird chance to show her to like exploit her. Physically, you know, on screen. So like there is some definitely outdated stuff from that angle. I will I I will give you that. So you're I think you're right there. But what I want to do is segue into where you're absolutely wrong. Uh <laughs> I, I would like to preface this by saying I think anybody who thinks Caddyshack 2 is better than Caddyshack should get life in prison. Um so Tim, give let, let's start off, let's start off talking about Caddyshack 2 with your opinion here.
0: Okay. So <laughs> I I think I like Caddyshack 2 more than Caddyshack.
1: Disgusting.
0: Sick. Yeah. I... Depra- depraved. <laughs> so so oh. here's here, here here's the thing. I don't really think either movie is all that great. You know, we've talked a lot about the first one and how there are good bits in it, but overall, you know, there's a lot to be desired. Aimless, yada yada, yada. I don't think the second one is any worse than the first. I think first of all, first of all, it actually has a coherent plot. There's an a act- bad one. Maybe it's <laughs> it. It might be a bad one, but it's Tim a let, plot. or Steve let Tim dig his own grave here. There's there's actually a plot as um, um as was mentioned before the the real estate tycoon in the second one actually has a reason for wanting to be in the country club compared to Rodney Dangerfield, who is just essentially there. So you have Rodney Dangerfield in the movie. So there are actual stakes to what's going on in the second one. And I, I think one of the things that, and again, I don't think either movie is all that great. And I mentioned before how in both cases, I kept checking the runtime to see how much longer there were until I could turn the movie off. But the experience of watching Caddyshack 2 was less painful to me than the experience of watching the first Caddyshack. And I think that has to do with there's... A, whimsy i don't think is the right word but there's more of a fun absurdist energy to the second one that i found more refreshing compared to what was in the first like when they when uh what uh i don't remember the character's name but jackie mason's character when he buys the country club and he turns it into that like carnival mini golf kind i did of like thing. that part that's like what nasty. i can agree on that's a fun turn. Like, and that gives, that gives the movie more of a, a visual panache in terms of the comedy that the first one didn't have. And the, there are I think there are equally solid jokes in the second one. We've been talking about, like Fab's mentioned the first one, it's the parts are greater than the whole. And I think you can say the same thing about the second one. Like there are solid bits in the second one that are at least as good as a lot of the stuff in the first, like Randy Quaid's lawyer. The scene when we've heard to meet Randy Quaid's lawyer is, is a lot of fun. Like that's a great scene.
2: That, the- scene
3: that scene serves as a nice little preamble to Randy Quaid's online Twitter presence. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. what that
0: is. But like it's it's a fun bit of comedy. Um it's not, it's not groundbreaking or anything like that, but it is fun. And there are there are like one-liners and quips throughout the movie that are just as I think are just as good. Like one of I mentioned a Lytton when we were talking before this. Like there's a joke at the beginning of the cat of Caddyshack 2 where um the the caddy that we end up Seeing, I don't remember the character's name because characters are not this series strong suit, but he's, he's caddying for the business for Jackie Mason's daughter. And obviously they have chemistry. He's trying to, you know, prove that he can date her. And he has a line about like, you know, I'm not going to be a caddy forever. I'm going back to car wash school in the fall. And like, that's a good joke. Like, that's a solid little bit of like misdirection and the setup and the payoff. So I I don't think the second movie is significantly worse than the first. I don't think either are that great, but my experience of actually watching was more enjoyable for the second because there was more of a fun energy to latch onto.
3: We now throw you to the wolves, Tim. Stay All right, I'm ready. Hey, I'm on my fourth
0: drink, so I'm ready.
2: <laughs> oh um God. Okay, so like, I'll agree on that. Like, I think it's really fun when they... Um, when he buys a country club in the second one and turns into amuse- an amusement park, uh, Randy Quaid is like surprisingly like hilarious. I mean, he's Randy Quaid's great if he has like five to ten minutes of screen time, like Uncle Eddie and the vacation movies, and he can just be insane. Like that's his like that's his sweet spot
0: because that's who he is.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like it's, <laughs> it's hey, we're shooting a movie. Don't tell me anything about it. I'm just gonna be. I'll I'll walk on set. I got it. <laughs> there's just i i don't know man the, the second one is just so lifeless and like yes there is a like more of a plot but i mean it's you're like you're you're splitting hairs with that because like the first one you could say the plot is like the main plot even though he's boring danny is trying to get danny is a caddy uh the head like one of the head caddies at the at this country club and he's trying to win a scholarship because his family doesn't come for money and so the whole time he's like Trying to, the president of the country club is this judge. And so he's trying to smoosh him. And then he ends up sleeping with his granddaughter. And there, all these other bits happen. And the the second one, I guess there is a little bit more of a plot, but it's just like every, obviously, the second one wouldn't exist without the first one. But like specifically because so many of the characters are just crappier versions of the characters in the first movie. I mean, you get it.
3: It's virtually a reboot. Like it's, it it's is. virtually the same thing, but streamlined.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, like, I that's why I just while I do like a couple of the the moments in the in the sequel, like I get what you're saying. There's a little bit more of a a cohesive plot. It's just the the second one, a thousand percent would never happen without the first one because everything is copied in the first movie. I
0: yeah, I I remember thinking when when i when i got to the when i finally got to the end of the second movie when it ends with the golf the golf course being blown up again it was almost like it was it was one of those things where it was so obvious and bad that it almost came around to being genuinely funny. Like, holy shit, you found the most tortured way to redo the ending that have the exact same ending of the first movie. Like it was, it was borderline impressive how they, how they massage the plot to get to the exact same kind of ending. So no, I don't, I don't disagree that so much of Caddyshack two is just, Redoing Caddyshack, just it you said streamlined. I think that makes sense. It's a streamlined version of Caddyshack, but I th- again, I'm not going to say either of these movies is super great. But I think being streamlined helps because we we spent the whole every the whole podcast up to this point kind of talking about how aimless the first movie is and how it's just by virtue of the cast and what they were willing to do that kind of. Helps the movie rise above what it would have been otherwise. I think the fact that Caddyshack Two streamlines that is is the better way to go. I mean, think of if you had Caddyshack Two, like that streamlined version with the same cast of the
2: original Caddyshack. Like then you'd probably have a good movie. But yeah, because- I mean, you could have you could have mixed and match, matched match some of the parts to make this. Yeah, where you take more of the plot of the first one, but then the cast – or more of the plot of the second one, but the cast of the first one to make something like even more special than the original Caddyshack. I could agree but with you,
0: that. You replace Jackie Jackie Mason with Rodney Dangerfield, replace uh, Dan Aykroyd with Bill Murray. And Caddyshack 2 all of a sudden becomes a really good movie. And also- Caddyshack
1: 2, actually, that actually was supposed to be Rodney Dangerfield. He was the one who wanted it to happen. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He Yeah, he ended up having like a big dispute with the studio. And that's why, like, at the last minute, they had to replace him with, like, a carbon copy in Jackie Mason <laughs> in terms of, like, de- delivery. Um, but, yeah, that's why Harold Ramis is actually, like, a part of – he actually wrote Caddyshack 2 and had a hand in it because – he basically was of the idea of like, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And it's going to be even more terrible. Yeah. Like he was like, I do not want to do this, but I'll do it because Rodney's doing it. If it's going to be Rodney bad, out.
3: I'm going to be the one. That makes <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. All right. I might as well get paid.
0: <laughs> I also want to throw in. I, I, I think another reason I like the second one more than the first is I was not expecting this when Robert Stack walked onto the screen, I legit lost my shit. I was so happy to see Roger Stack in that movie, and I was just like, "Oh shit, it's the Unsolved Mystery guys!" Yeah, and Tim, as, Tim told and, me this beforehand. And I was like, "Have you never watched Airplane?" Like, I didn't remember. I haven't. Seen, <laughs> I haven't seen Airplane in a long time either, so I don't the fact that there might be better comedies that make use of Robert Stack's gravitas might be the case. We're not talking about those movies right now. We're talking about Caddyshack 2. And I was so in love with the fact that Robert Stack Robert Stack was lending his gravitas to this movie, and it was fantastic. I loved watching him in this. And granted, that is probably... Coloring my view of the movie overall. Yes, it is. But
2: it is. <laughs> but I don't care. I don't give a shit. I mean I, crazy. He's, he's paying Dan Ackroyd to kill somebody. <laughs> like, like he's like cool. He's like, oh, here's this golf ball that will explode when I hit him with it. And he's like, oh cool, yeah, like let's go with that one.
0: He's manufacturing that watch- he's manufacturing his own unsolved mysteries segment. It's fantastic! <laughs> Um,
3: we haven't yet talked about uh, Dan Aykroyd uh, and his antics and his crazy voice, as you, as you can see on uh, the podcast. A little naming thing there. I've given myself the name Mrs. Esther House, which is what he <laughs> refers to Robert Stack's character. I, I, I want to hear Steve's take because he seems like partic- Like we we did nothing but trouble on the '90s podcast, and Steve uh, Steve's been watching some some bad Dan Hackeray movies lately <laughs> has got some strong opinions, but I would say uh, for Teddy 2, too. Um, I, I agree with Tim on like the plot of being like better streamlined kind of thing. I agree that if you could merge the two, it would probably be better, but yeah, I I, I do think the cast has some strong stuff. I think uh, like Jackie Mason's like, whatever. I mean, he's, he's literally just plugged in there and I don't think he does anything special. Uh, I think Randy Quaid has some fun bits, particularly the boardroom where he just unleashes. (laughs) Um, I think Chevy Chase is funnier in this movie than the other one. I know that might be sacrilege, but like the few scenes he's in, he has more lines. I think maybe they, since Ramis was writing this script and it wasn't, I mean, he wrote, I think co-wrote the original, but it was so loose and they changed so much. I think maybe they knew, okay, well, Chevy's going to be in this. So we're going to write him some solid stuff. Cause like the few scenes he's in, like he has funny stuff. Like he hated doing Mm -hmm. it. Like he, there's a line where apparently he said to the director, um, call me when you've dubbed the laugh track before walking away in disgust. Um, So he, but I think he hates doing everything. I mean, he hated doing community and it was like the best thing he had done in decades. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I, I think like the scenes he's in actually like, are fairly fun. Like he has a lot of funny lines. Um and then Dan Aykroyd, like I made this point to Tim before. Um and this is kind of similar to like Nothing But Trouble, which if you haven't heard our Revenge of the 90s uh coverage on Nothing But Trouble, do so. Shame, um, I, plug. Shame, yes. plug. <laughs> but when you have really great comedic performers, even in something that's a failure. Uh, like Caddyshack 2, like Nothing But Trouble, I think they're still usually operating, you know, they, they don't forget how to be them. They don't forget how to be funny. And they usually are still trying. Even if they know they're in a failed thing, if for no other reason, they don't want it to be failed. They don't want it to be a black mark on their career. They don't want to, like, you know, look like they don't give a shit. So uh, I, I feel like you get facial expressions, you get mannerisms, you get certain line deliveries that work. And so like Dan Aykroyd's characters, Steve mentioned is like a carbon copy more or less of Spackler, which is basically true. But I think, uh, I think there's just like some funny mannerisms, facial expressions, line deliveries that Aykroyd milks out of it. Steve, you had some some thoughts on Dan. I did.
1: Well, I, I will, I will agree with you for sure on Chevy chase angle. I think that like, I th- I do find a lot of what he says or what he does in this movie funnier than um, in the first one, because even in like the first Caddyshack, that like, no, 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 that scene, what he's talking about honestly makes no sense. Like there's, I don't know what he's rambling. I think he just was on Coke when he was doing that scene, because like, if you listen to like That's what not, he's right? talking to, to Danny about, it's just like, what is this? <laughs> and like, I don't even, what is the, like, no, 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 no. Like none of it, it makes any sense, but it like somehow worked. Um, in the second movie, there's that scene where he's um, meeting with Jackie Mason uh, for the first time, and he's in the clubhouse, and he, like, the pool sticks all fall, and he's, like, calling everybody by the wrong name, and then he sits on the lap of that guy and treats it like he's, like, part of the chair, and, like, that's some really great physical comedy. Yeah. I, I did like that a lot. Um and they you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not, like, whole saying, like, wholesale this is, like, the worst. I do think it, like, gets a bad rap as being, like, the worst sequel of all time. Probably just because it was one of the earliest terrible sequels. But, like, like like you guys are saying, like, there's stuff that works in the second movie that that's fun. My problem with Dan Aykroyd's character is that, like, I mean, personally, I just found it to be, like, that voice was the most grating voice I think I've ever heard on film. Like, you do it, like... You do like a line or two with it, and you're like, "Oh, okay, like that's kind of funny. That's a funny, weird character." But like, when you've got like a full exchange with Robert Stack, and you've got like all these other scenes at the end where he's like, got to maintain that voice, I, it was just like painful, like just painful. And like the Mrs. Esther House line is pretty fun, but like I, everything else like doesn't work for me. Like the chili dog thing is weird and lame, and like that watch the fruit like that that thing was like awful like and you had to endure it three times uh, keep your eye on the fruit fruit. and it's like three (laughs) times in a row and it was like
0: like i'm being tortured it is particularly contrasting it with robert stack's voice does make it particularly grating It's just like why – it's like I understand – it's like, okay, Carl Spackler is an
1: iconic character in the Caddyshack universe and comedy world. So I understand it's like, well, we got to have a Carl, but like it didn't have to be – like I don't think that's Dan Aykroyd's strong suit. I, I just don't, and I think he's really funny and he's an incredible comedian. It's just I don't think he was the right fit for that character, which again speaks to the specific singular talent of Bill Murray. Nobody else can be Carl Spackler. So like, I, I'm very, I I wish I could forget that Dan Aykroyd tried to do it. And it just like, didn't. And the other thing too, that really bothered me was like at the end of the movie, you're supposed to get this big comedic payoff when he like just appears out of the woods and and Ty Webb is standing there and it's like, Oh baby, we got Dan Aykroyd and Chevy chase on screen. Let's do it. And it was just this dud of an interaction where it's like a sex joke. And, you can tell that they were just like kind of meandering through the scene and it just didn't work. And I was pretty disappointed in that because I was like, all right, cool. I endured 89 minutes of this. <laughs> Here comes a joke I might like. And it was just a real painful exchange. To be
0: fair, that is still more than we got when Chevy Chase and Rodney Dangerfield meet up in the first Caddyshack.
3: I mean, that's true. That's true. One uh, one aspect we haven't touched upon, and I'm curious anyone's thought thoughts on this. I jotted it down and I hadn't thought about it because I hadn't been analyzing these movies ever before. But the first County Shack is an R-rated movie. It's 1980, uh, you know, pre, like, I don't know, early 70s. You know, like, I don't think R really existed. There was, like, uh, you know, kind of, like, adult or X ratings for certain things. But eventually the R comes in. PG-13 doesn't hit until, like, mid-'80s with Spielberg, like, Gremlins and Temple Doom and stuff. So PG-13 was on the table. And they still were kind of figuring out how PG-13 would go cuz you find some stuff that like pushes the envelope in certain ways. But the original's an R-rated comedy. There's nudity, there's language, um, you know, there's definitely like some adult stuff going on. This one it goes PG. And I don't know why they made that choice. Mm. Like, you know, like I mean, if you think about it, there's no nudity in this, there's you know anything sexual is very like limited or alluded to there's not really much language and i'm not saying you have to be filthy to be a comedy but like consider if like you did a sequel to animal house and you made it pg i just don't understand like in the conception of it harold ramus is still involved the studio wants a sequel in the conception of it you essentially defang it and the Caddyshack's best jokes aren't even like the filthy stuff. I mean, the best jokes like are the Murray things, which are basically clean. But I'm still just—I I don't understand why you would say like, "Well, let's make this zany and PG, and like we have no chance to have anything that could push the envelope at all." Um, it's just a weird
2: choice that I don't quite follow. And yeah, go and ahead, I, I, Yeah, I don't—I don't get it because I don't know, like if you're trying to get a broader audience, like one kids, like, don't care about golf. Like it's not like, <laughs> Oh, we're going to like, we're, we're go watch a family, like golf comedy. Um, Everybody who you're trying to get to watch the sequel, watch the original. And that was rated R. So like none of that made any sense to me either. Like it. Yeah. I, I don't know. And like, I don't, maybe they decided to change it once Rodney Dangerfield no longer was going to be in the movie. And it was kind of like a last ditch, like, okay, well, if we make this relatively clean, maybe we'll get like our money back. It's, it's more broad. And the people who want to see the sequel are going to see it regardless of the rating. Like, I guess that could be the logic, but yeah, I mean, I always think that, that, that PG 13, our choice that gets made of like action movies and, and certain comedies. I think it's, it always goes on – they always make the wrong decision in my opinion.
1: I will also say I really hated what they did with the gopher in this movie. Caddyshack 2 <laughs> like just beat you over the head with the gopher, which now talks. And <laughs> and, and and like it's just this like like huge character like that has like a plot of its own and, and like is always, and is, like far more sentient than I think well, you've, any – You've got you to know.
3: expand the world, Steve. You've got to world-
1: – Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. Where he like drinks that – when he drinks that – um. Uh, the root beer, the diet, the diet root beer. When he pulls it through, and he's like chugging it, and it's like getting them all over himself, and he's like, and it's just like this is not going to go well. Oh, like this that's movie not how, is
0: not gonna. Be. Like that's not how you drink your diet root beer.
1: I don't like. To, I don't <laughs> want a mirror put up to me. I don't want ah. to see that.
0: <laughs> no, that was something that I remember that that stuck out to me when I was watching Caddyshack 2 Was so I like. I didn't have a problem with the way the gopher was utilized in in the sequel for the most part. um, It seemed mostly in line with what they were doing in the first one, a little bit more exaggeration, but that's to be expected when you're doing a sequel. But when it got to the end and the gopher intentionally puts the explosive golf ball in Robert Stack's bag, it did jump out because it was like, so this gopher apparently recognizes that Robert Stack is a piece of shit in the movie. Like he's the villain. He's intentionally trying to help out the other side. Like there was, like you said, there was there was an amount of sentience given to him in that moment that did not jibe with what we had seen from him up until then. Because in the first movie, he's just. A gopher, and he's doing the gopher thing. And so the conflict between Bill Murray and the gopher in the first movie is very organic and natural given the setting. And for most of the second movie, I would say it follows the same logic there's a bit more of a direct antagonistic spirit of the gopher towards Dan Aykroyd's character compared to Bill Murray. But again, I think you could chalk that up to it's a sequel. You're digging your heels in more on that kind of stuff. That's fine. I don't have a problem with it. When he is putting that ball into Robert Stack's bag, that crossed the line to where now apparently we need to believe that the gopher is aware of the plot and what has been going on in the golf course, which does not make any sense at all. Yeah, I,
3: I agree with Tim. It, it struck me as weird um, because, like, yeah, the gopher, it's its very similar to the first with, uh, you know, his his villain, his antagonist is, you know, whatever... Uh, Dan Aykroyd's character is named uh, Mr. Sanderson I think is the fake name that is given he that that's his villain that he's facing but yeah at the end he like pops out the golf ball and I was just like sitting there watching thinking has the gopher been watching the movie like how does he know that any of this has to do like how's he know he's gonna help or hurt anyone like isn't this just random to him whatever's happening over there.
1: <laughs> I I did like the uh, Looney Tunes explosion uh, with Robert Stack and the whole family when they when the, the smoke clears and they're all like blackened and like their hair is all like insane like this this is a Warner Brothers movie so I did appreciate the uh, the the Looney Tunes shout out yeah. uh, with that I can always appreciate that um, okay because uh, we're we're closing in on you know hour and a half or so and uh, I mean I sure I'm sure we could go four hours on Caddyshack but
2: yeah you like the original cut?
1: Yeah, <laughs> We're, let's go five. Where, uh, j- just to kind of try and encapsulate here. So we'll each kind of go. We'll do uh, any any other kind of just like interesting tidbits that we have about the series or things that we like. And then where, if, if at all, you think this series could go or if it should go anywhere and like how you would see that happening.
0: Caddyshack Unsolved Mysteries crossover event. Make it you cowards.
3: That's what I want. Netflix. Tim wants them to unearth the corpse of Robert Stack and or do some kind of CGI monstrosity like uh, Grand Moff Tarkin.
0: We have the technology.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's that's Tim. Linton. Uh I mean, my note for this aspect, I believe in our notes was, "Where can this go from here?" Nowhere. All caps. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like lightning in a bottle gets thrown around as a term for certain kinds of movies. And I know like that's been said of like Ghostbusters. And I don't think that's true. Of Ghost, it's, it's true in the sense that Ghostbusters worked incredibly well, that it would be hard to replicate all of those factors. But I don't think it's true that you could never make a sequel that's worthy of Ghostbusters. I mean, like, I think the second one's good. I'm looking forward to the new one that's coming up. I think when you have a movie like that, where You're set in a fantastical world. You can world build. You can, you know, dig into some aspect of the mythology and take it somewhere. Um, I think you have a place to go, you know, in any kind of like franchise like that. But for something like Caddyshack, where it's central concept, if you forget the second one for a second, just think of when the first hit. It's central concept is, I don't know, let's do a movie about some, you know, funny guys at a golf course. And it's like, all right, we did that once what else can we do with it? And we saw what the, what else they could do with it with Caddyshack 2, which was, Oh, we'll just do the same thing, but worse. And so <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's anywhere like with all these series that are getting like, you know, soft reboots and stuff where it's like a continuation. Um, I think Steve might've had a kind of an idea on this. I'm curious to hear his take, but like if you brought in some of the old cast members, like theoretically you could, but I don't know that there's any legs to it. I don't know what kind of story you would tell. That's like different or interesting. Um, A straight up reboot, like remake. I always find to be a very bad idea on comedies. If you're, trying to push the world somewhere that's one thing in a sequel but if you're just like straight up we're going to remake this comment like if they try to remake Blazing Saddles it would be the worst idea anyone had ever attempted in history or <laughs> or, or airplane like you are just yeah, not yeah. going to do it like just go make your own different airplane do something else um so I don't think like a remake would be anything viable and like I said it doesn't lend itself to the soft reboot sequel, legacy sequel type deal. So for me, let it die. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the the thing I you, that you had mentioned in the notes that I thought was funny or interesting that I had never really realized is that there was a golf show with Bill Murray and his brothers.
3: Yeah, it might have been because uh, we always have a note about like any extended media. So um, it might have only been like a season or something. But they've done a couple things related to Caddyshack because because. Brian Doyle Murray, we, we didn't mention this, co-wrote this movie. It was kind of his idea, I believe. He's in it as the yeah. caddy manager, and it's based in part on his experiences as a caddy. And so that's basically how you know, Bill Murray gets involved and in everything. Um, but they've, in the Murray family, I think they've kind of extended this out a little bit because I think they probably all love golf and they grew up with it. So they've created the Caddyshack restaurants. There's a handful of them in a few places. And yeah. then like one of their brothers like runs as like the head chef or something at one of them. But like obviously, like Bill and Brian Doyle Murray are like involved and kind of helped make this happen. So there's a few of those that exist. But yeah, there's some Comedy Central show, maybe in like the early 2000s. I don't remember what it was called, but it was basically where bill murray and brian doyle murray and maybe somebody else were going to like golf courses maybe like famous golf courses i don't know the title it may have only been a season i remember catching like some bits and pieces and i don't care about golf but i like bill murray so i remember catching bits and pieces and be like oh this is kind of fun uh, it was just i think them just kind of riffing they would go there they would talk about stuff I I think he and his brother have been doing a similar thing with like minor league baseball parks uh some kind of Oh cool. Yeah, like some there's some kind of online show they've done.
2: Um but yeah, I Fabs, do you remember what that show's called? I don't remember what it was called. I I saw a few episodes cuz I I I like golf and yeah, I thought, I thought it was really cool cuz yeah, it was like a docu-comedy thing where they would go to fame like St. Andrews and a bunch of the famous courses, Pinehurst and and they would they would play and Get you get like a brief history of the course. It wasn't like super historical or anything like that. But yeah, I do remember that in the early 2000s. All right, Fabs, what is your –
1: what's your take and
2: So I mean I think the time for any kind of comedy reboot of Caddyshack uh, to happen has like long since passed. I I think the time you would have done it was like when Tiger Woods was like crushing it and you had an interest in golf. And so you could have gotten that like older generation – who like grew up on Caddyshack and introduced their kids to it or their grandkids to Caddyshack as they're watching Tiger Woods because kids were getting into golf with Tiger Woods. Um, I honestly like I kind of agree that like I'd be fine if they just didn't do anything with it ever again. But if you're gonna do something with it, I think it'd be cool to do some kind of drama. I don't know like the the exact way you'd approach it, but Like, the whole thing with Caddyshack is, like, there's so many dynamics of, like, classism. And then the first one, you get, like, a little bit of, like, race, too, with, like, the workers at the club. So I think you could do something like that that would be more dramatic. That was maybe you had a couple of, like, characters have the same names. Like, I don't think you could really get away with having a a series or a movie called, like, Caddyshack 3 or something. That was, like, a a pure drama. But I think you could take maybe It Happens at Bushwoods or – uh, you have a couple of the characters like are like named, or you see plaques where it's like, oh, this is like a loose tie tie in crossover uh, with like the politics that uh, that are at play uh, within the country club world. I think that would be interesting, but like, I don't from a comedy standpoint, like, I I really don't know how you like redo it without I mean, it being. You could go into like more of a dark
0: dark gritty route, kind of like what they're doing with Riverdale on CW, and then you call it Bushwood.
2: Yeah, you can be fun. I'm yeah.
0: curious,
3: Fabs, on like, because uh, like what you're describing could definitely work if you did like just like a different kind of golf movie or series. But I'm wondering like if you release something like that as you described and it was called Caddyshack or was clearly playing off of Caddyshack, like, aren't people going to expect? Oh, this is going to be a comedy. Like, like is yeah, it a brand? I is it well. a brand that can that
2: is malleable? I guess it might. I, I and I, I honestly don't think if you called it Caddyshack, like it would be – I don't think the people would buy into it. Like, unless – like, short of the movie being a, like, everyone's – oh, we're not going to watch this. And then it ends up having, like, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and starts getting nominated for, like, Oscars. Then people are like, oh, like, <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll watch, like, the new Caddyshack movie because it's supposed to be really good. You, um, <laughs> sort of, like, that happening, if it's just, like, a middle-of-the-road, like, drama. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, it would not work. Like, but I I find – um because like I'm from Columbus and there are so many country clubs there. I went to Catholic school and like, like a bunch of my friends were part of the country. Like their families were in country clubs. Like we weren't, um, but like they were, and I found it fascinating. And like, I had friends who were caddies at country clubs in Columbus and stuff like that. So like, to me, the, the drama of it is like way more interesting than the comedy of it. Uh, Cause I think it's easy to find the comedy and in country clubs. So if you can find a create a good drama, like I'm I'm writing a horror drama thing that's about country clubs that takes place in the eighties called um it's called Trickle Down. And it's basically the country club is uh the the people there they worship Ronald Reagan and they worship the devil. And so it's like a play on <laughs> class <laughs> warfare. And like a Hispanic a family joins it. it. And so like I think where if you can find a drama piece and just have a drama that was like you had some pieces that were tie-ins to Caddyshack, but I, Linton, you're right. Like if you if you release the movie next year called Caddyshack starring Daniel Day Lewis, people would be like, what the fuck is this? Like what is going <laughs> on? Like there's no way this is the comedy. You it was could, a
3: Cinderella boy, <laughs> tears in his eyes yeah, Daniel Day Lewis is as Carl as Spackler. He took
0: yeah, this last shot. Uh, I've Let abandoned me. my child. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned Riverdale, but there is a precedent for that. If you don't call it Caddyshack, but you called it Bushwood, Riverdale and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix have set a precedent where you can take a world and redo it in a completely different tone and there will be an audience for it. So theoretically, it could work. Will it work in Caddyshack's case? I don't know. I don't really like Caddyshack to begin with. So you probably shouldn't ask me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't um, Tim.
1: <laughs> Fair. Uh, I will say um, my, my last uh, thought on um, Caddyshack two is that I will actually say that the Kenny Loggins song from Caddyshack two is vastly superior. Nobody's fool is vastly superior to I'm all, I'm all right. Um, I, I, I I know that both I know I'm All Right is iconic. Like when the golf ball comes shooting up to the screen in the original Caddyshack and like you got the freaking Kenny Loggins song playing and it's just like this amazing like 80s feel to it. Um, But I actually thought Nobody's Fool like as a song is better Um, as a big Kenny Loggins movie soundtrack fan. um, I was I was very impressed with uh, Nobody's Fool. So I will give Caddyshack 2 some props. Um, that that song should not languish only <laughs> in the cr- opening credits of Caddyshack too. But my idea is, um, I think I phrased it as "fuck it, let's just do it this way." Um, let's just, I say you lean into you lean into the you know Caddyshack history and the idea that it's just this big improv comedy mishmash of stuff. And like Linton and I always talk about, like you know, how do you continue you know the idea of uh, a series and, and keep it moving forward i think like the in terms of like a comedy like caddyshack the easiest way i feel like you could do it is you just you just say well it's bushwood today um bushwood country club has has been in operation um since you know however long and uh it's still back and uh or it's still there and and maybe something's happening to it where um there's like you know, I don't know, maybe it's going to close or there's some sort of like more modern 2020 concept to it. Um, that, that offers up like the, the basis of, you know, where things go from there. But like, I think you could do, I, 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 you know, I, I missed like those comedies of like the mid two thousands. Like, you know, remember like the new, like Brat Pack type of comedies where you had, like you were, dr- and I'm not saying it has to be these people in it, but like, you, you had that, that group of like, you know, it was like Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, and some of those other just, kind of, and um, then you frat, had like the next frat pack, frat pack. I'm yeah. sorry, not brat pack, frat pack. Um, And then you had that new age where it was like the James Franco's, the Seth Rogan's the Paul Rudd was somehow in both of those worlds, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying it has to be those guys, but like those types of comedies, are few and far between now. And like, it's even more rare to see these types of comedians joining forces in these types of comedies. But I think it would be really interesting if you took some of that talent and, and honestly you had it produced and directed by the lonely Island, because I think they do great. I think they do great work um, on film, not even when they're directing, but even just producing television too. I think that's a fresh take and a fresh look. In terms of like who could approach it, um, and I think you would be, like meld those worlds really well, and I also think that this show would work really well as as a sitcom. I think it would work really well as like a Netflix sitcom with like six to eight episodes, um, and I I think you can make that work where it turns into like a workplace sitcom that like if it was like made by The Lonely Island, um, or produced by them with like comedic talent that they can recognize and find like whether it's young or or old guard. I think it would work. Um, I think if you it, you almost could treat it as like a sketch show in the in the frame of it being Caddyshack, because that's essentially what Caddyshack was. You use it as a showcase for like comedians, um with like thin plots or whatever. So I feel like the brand could still live on in those types of ways. It would just have to be in the right hands.
2: Yeah. I'd watch that, honestly, like if you had the frat pack in it. I mean, I was just thinking of uh, um, Danny McBride and Will Ferrell being ridiculous, like country club villains. And you have like one of the Wilsons with um, <laughs> like uh, Vince Vaughn are trying to like join the club or something like just Danny McBride and Will Ferrell like together playing Danny- over the top would be so fucking funny.
1: Dude, Danny McBride's character from Tropic Thunder feels like a new age Carl Spackler. In a way, oh, yeah. Because be he's great. just <laughs> this like crazed, like, you know, uh, sort of, you know, that same like vibe. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that would work. You know, that could work. You could make it like, honestly, if if like Danny McBride got a hold of it and turned it into an HBO show, the way he's done with like The Righteous Gemstones. Um,
3: he's bound it down. He's pounding
1: down. And, and, you know, yeah exactly which oh so good um yeah i
3: I would agree i mean uh, again i have no real investment in the series but uh of the ideas thrown out there i would probably trust danny mcbride to make this good danny mcbride and uh jody hill i believe is the kind of like his partner and directs everything produces everything with him so yeah i would say that they would be a good fit because they i mean they would make stuff funny but they are very much interested in character and the drama of things and like they if if you could imagine a danny mcbride jody hill hbo caddyshack show they would have like genuine touching moments like there would be things where yeah like, yeah holy shit wow they made me care about that like and yeah. they're just super good at that and i mean but they would also have like just incredibly funny stuff so yeah i would say uh that's a fun
1: interesting angle mm-hmm. and you would see if you had a hbo caddyshack with Danny McBride and Jody Hill, you'd see Walton Goggins penis.
2: Oh, nom, nom, nom. So nom. that
1: you'd get that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Um, let's wrap this up. Uh, you guys got any final thoughts or can we get out of here? Uh,
0: not really. I think both movies are pretty, <laughs> How many, yeah. what, what no. are you on? No, Tim, you disappeared. Get out of here. What gin and tonic are you on? Uh, I've, I've had four um oh
3: okay jim's Uh, been drinking straight from the bottle of gin for the last 20 minutes
1: (laughs) yeah that's number
0: four yeah (laughs) no i just think i think as a whole the series is pretty meh you know i think fab's comment that the parts are greater than the whole is pretty apt there are good things to be found within both movies but really i don't think caddyshack is anything special so
3: Uh, Only other thing I have to add uh, when I was praising Bill Murray's performance, I did not bring up two bits of really good physical comedy. It's the same thing he does, but he does them twice. It's when the uh, bishop gets electrocuted out on the green And then at the very end, once he has completely obliterated the golf course, he does this just sort of like looking over his shoulder, stalking away, like zigzag walk of like, I'm going to get in trouble for this. (laughs) And it's just like, it's just great comedic performance kind of stuff. It's that another performer wouldn't have played the character that way, or they would have just like walked off screen or whatever. But, uh, you know, Murray was just a hundred percent committed and that physical comedy is some of like the best stuff he did in the movie. I think.
2: Um, I'll say, I mean, check it out. If you haven't seen it, uh, there are some really funny moments. Also check out larger than life and operation. Depot drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and listen yeah, no, to Fab's
3: elephant podcast, elephant, yeah, elephant <laughs> podcast.
1: <laughs> it's called Elephun. Elefun. Elefun. P-, P H U N. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Caddyshack is whether, I mean, you know, the subjective nature of like how you feel about like the characters or how it, how it is, uh, from, you know, a comedic standpoint, it is a comedy classic. So, I mean, if you're, uh, you know, somebody who wants to get into, you know, comedy history or, or you just want to see, you know, what's regarded as like the best comedy of the eighties, like this is required viewing, and 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 I do agree, you know, with with Linton um, in saying that just like Bill Murray's performance is just an iconic, iconic performance. That I again a singular talent that just like nobody could have done it that way. And so like see it for that alone. If you if you've somehow never seen Caddyshack, which I guess at this point could have fallen through the cracks for some people. So uh, please avoid Caddyshack too at all costs um i the only thing i'll say in that is i will commission i would love to commission the painting of chevy chase where he where his face is all three of the family members on the painting yeah but i actually think that was pretty good so I, i would commission that painting but other than that um not a ton of redeeming qualities there in that sequel so all right that is uh the caddyshack franchise um we'll see you guys later
0: Let's review some
3: films Let's Let's
1: review some films Let's Let's review some films See what we gotta say